Today's show is brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at GetBarkBox.com slash profit. Now, it's time to get profitable. This is the Personal Profitability Podcast with Eric Rosenberg. Hey there, profiteers. Welcome back for Personal Profitability Podcast, episode number 88. Now, for those of you who don't know, I actually want to share really quickly that I have another podcast, and this podcast is changing up a little bit to make a little bit more room in my schedule for the new one. So the new podcast is called Oh No, We Didn't. I record it at twice a week, so twice as often as this one. Episodes go live Tuesday and Thursday. They're a half hour long, and I record with co-host Whitney Hansen. Her show is The Money Nerds, and the show is hilarious. It's fun. It is not suitable for young ears or for work, but if you want a laugh and maybe to learn something about money, politics, religion, whatever along the way, come back to Oh No, We Did It, and uh, we break down the big taboos. So as I mentioned, that will be coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So this show, I decided I shouldn't be putting out two shows on Tuesday. That's a little much. It's it's a lot to handle on my end even. So this show is moving to Wednesday starting this week. So look out for personal profitability podcast episodes on Wednesdays from now on. And please do check out my other show. Oh, no, we didn't. Uh, I use profanity, which I don't really ever do in this show or ever around my little kids because you know, I'm a dad. When you have little kids, they parrot everything you say. So it's my one hour of the week, those two half hour episodes that I'm allowed to use profanity. But uh, today we are not talking about that. We are talking about something totally different. I'm really excited for today's guest, Warren Hogarth. Warren is a former venture capitalist at Sequoia Capital. So he has experience lending out money to companies, you know, startup businesses looking to grow quickly and do that by bringing on outside capital. And now he is the CEO of his own startup, Empower, which is a personal finance app to help you manage your money better. So he has some great perspectives, both as a business founder, business investor, and now with his unique view, looking at personal finance data on a big scale, he can give us some cool and interesting insights about how a lot of us deal with our own money and what we can do to improve. So that's all for now. We will get going with that interview in just one minute right after this. Longtime listeners probably have heard from special guests Yogi and Tribble. Yes, I'm talking about my dogs that bark in the background sometimes, but even though they might speak up when I don't want to hear them on the podcast, they're still part of the family just like the rest of us. So for my dogs, I want to give them the best treats. And that's what BarkBox is all about. For humans, BarkBox is a delivery of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme each month. For dogs, BarkBox is like the joy of a million belly scratches. If you want to get one free month, head to getbarkbox.com profit and see what your dog might enjoy. You might have a little fun with it too. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I am excited to be here with today's guest, Warren Hogarth. Warren, are you ready to get profitable? Very excited, Eric. So you have been a, a VC in the past at Sequoia Capital. You know, that's one of the world's most known VC firms. For people who don't know much about Sequoia, don't know much about you, how did you get into the, the venture capital world and your role there? 
it was quite a serendipitous journey. Um, so I'm an Aussie. I uh, was back in Australia. I grew up in Brisbane. For people who know it, my grandparents have a cattle ranch in Central Australia. That was sort of my upbringing. Um, I was doing a chemical engineering degree. I was going to go design design oil refineries around the world, and through a bunch of serendipitous events, I went to this presentation from a professor who convinced me that the world over the next 40 years was going to be very different if I were to do some sort of research. And so I did a PhD, and then I won a scholarship to come to the U.S. I fell in love with entrepreneurship. Uh, I had an idea to start a company. Uh, we developed technology to do it, but the market wasn't ready. I had to hustle to get back to the country because as a foreigner, it's not easy to get a visa. I came back and uh, my, my, my way back to the country was to go to business school, got another visa to get, to get back over here. And then I was literally, um, I was emailing people on the West Coast. I was in, in Boston and at Harvard and I was um, emailing people to say, hey, can I catch up for coffee? I have this idea. I want to get your thoughts and feedback. I'm going to be out there uh, in a week or whatever dates, even though I'd never booked my ticket. Uh, I'd get enough people to say yes. Um, I would then book my tickets, jump on a plane, and uh, crash on my friend's couch and just meet as many people as I could. And just through all of those serendipitous events, I I struck up a relationship with a few of the guys at Sequoia, and we sort of hit it off. and And they were looking for someone, but they hadn't mentioned it. Um, and uh, that took me into venture capital, and uh, yeah, the rest is sort of history. That's an amazing story. It's like you went from crocodile hunter to you know, big business financier in just a short period of time. That is so fun. What was it like growing up out like in, the, you know, a lot of people think of Australia, they think of Sydney and Melbourne. We don't know as much, especially on this side of the pond about central Australia. What was it like growing up there? My hometown is Brisbane, which is on the coast, but my the ranch uh, family ranch is in central Australia. So it's uh, 35,000 acres. We muster by horse. We have a thousand head of cattle. Uh, my sister now lives in in the town of 3,000 people out there. She's sort of uh, got her own business and hustle, actually, that she started from scratch with about 30 people. They fabricate things for folks out there. It's much drier. It's much hotter. I'm, I'm based in San Francisco now. It's sort of it's probably like some of the you know hot parts of southern southern U.S. And uh, it's a very different pace of life. Um, and technology hasn't permeated as as fast as you would hope. It's sort of you go out there and. You get a satellite uh, internet connection that's like having a dial-up modem, but uh, it's not too bad these days. Oh, that's great. So when you moved into the finance world and started investing in companies, what were your personal criteria, the things you looked out for when you were trying to pick companies that might be a big winner? I, I give you a very brief snapshot of before and then after perhaps joining Sequoia because it's sort of, you know... I joined Sequoia. It's a small team of about eight people, and the companies they've backed since you know when they were three or four people, like Google and Apple, very early on, and LinkedIn and Dropbox and Airbnb more recently, um, now make up twenty percent of the Nasdaq. And so, it was sort of a very interesting learning experience. But for me, in the past, it was before that. It was sort of always one of these things where, I was, hey, did I think I had some kind of insight that was unique or some kind of edge and you know, b- back when I was growing up, my, my you know father worked in the oil and gas industry. And so we knew a bit about sort of the trends and what was going on. And so I'd often buy stocks in that industry if I thought things were like growing or what have you. Uh, after doing my, you know, eight years in venture capital and helping build a couple of unicorns and what have you, there are a couple of main principles. One is like market size and market opportunity. And we would liken it to 
you know, if you're a surfer, you always want to jump on and be surfing on a great wave. And that to us with the analogy was the market. It's very hard to create a wave or, or do your best if, you know, the wave isn't going in the right direction, if it's not the right size. And, a, you know, a big wave can make up for a lot of mistakes along the way. You don't necessarily have to be the best if you've got great conditions. And so that was one of the things. The second one was sort of team. And for us, the other big one was like, how how big is the customer pain? Is it a must-have problem where people will pay even though the initial product isn't perfect um, because that means they've got a really big problem or is it sort of a nice to have and you know it's sort of tough to get going and that was always it was also a great indication of another important thing was how could you price your product if it was a must-have people would pay more for it and you'd have great gross margin great gross margins generated cash which you could invest in the business and grow the business that is actually a great segue into something that our audience really loves and cares about, and that's side hustles and making money on the side. I know you've been hustling for a really long time, since you were 12. What was your first side hustle like, and what has side hustling taught you that has helped you reach success at Sequoia and now at Empower? For me, it started off mowing lawns and raking driveways in the in the local neighborhood, Um I would also tutor other kids from high school and uh, actually also work on ranches over my summer. And so for me, it was just, it just taught me, I suppose, about, you know, learning how to sell and market yourself and that you sort of have to get out there. And it also teaches you sort of good basic economic lessons of making sure you value your time and that you price things appropriately and when you you know fill up your book of business, if you have five hours free and you've got more demand, you can increase your pricing until you know people start saying no. So that I mean, those things taught me a lot of basic principles, which have just served me very well along the way. I think you know if I take that into investing, it would always mean you know whenever we were doing due diligence on a company or looking at a new opportunity, you know, we'd always get out there and speak to potential customers and customers. We'd always ask them. You know, what's your best alternative? How much might you pay for something like this? And through to today, I mean, I, in, in many ways, so today I have, you know, my startup company, Empower, which is a consumer finance app, but we employ about 10 different people in with various side hustles as we need them, where we don't need somebody full time, but we need a very specific sort of expertise. And it's, you know, it's been really interesting on the other side, back from when I was a kid, it was like, knock on the doors in the neighborhood, uh, shake down your, your your friends or your parents' friends to see who wanted their lawn mode. These days, it's like jump on Fiverr, jump on Dribble, ask us, uh, you know, ask around uh, and network around to see where you can find great talent. And there's just many w- more ways to get discovered today. You have access at Empower to you know, large data sets of people's personal finance data and whatnot. Are you seeing side hustles as a growing opportunity for people to fix their finances, get out of debt, maybe even improve their retirement savings or an emergency fund? How are you seeing you know, side hustles fit into people's finances? Yeah, well, one very important clarification is we obviously don't jump into an individual's specific data on a, you know, where I would look into it. But what we do, what we do is we, we have a series of algorithms that go and, and, and look across our data sets and say, hey, does it look like people have more than one set of income? How regular is that income? Um, and, and we certainly see that it being 
very prevalent and increasing. You know, our audience skews to a millennial and younger generation. And for me, it's sort of, it's really exciting. And, and one of the things that we're trying to do is help innovate uh, and bring new financial products to people with side hustles as well. Because if you look at sort of traditionally, and this is something I've felt had problems with in the past, it's, you know, let's say you want to go get a loan. There's like, hey, what's your FICO score? But then there's this other box you have to tick that says, hey, do you have two years of W-2 income? With more and more people having side hustles now, in the past you were penalized for having contract work. Now I think it should really be seen as a bonus because it means, you know, you've got extra income. If the economy goes through some kind of downturn, you know how to go sell yourself to get more work. Whereas if you're in an unfortunate position where you've been someone where for a long time and you get laid off, it can be much harder to go get new work. We see it being very prevalent, and it's also something we're very focused on for bringing new products to market and helping the finance industry better serve people with side hustles. Oh, that's great. So for between side hustles, what do you think people are using those side hustle dollars for? What's the biggest reason people are side hustling today? You know, I, I see it falling into two buckets. There's sort of people that do it because it's sort of a core piece of their income. And, you know, it's, you know, let's say you're driving Uber full time and people do it for flexibility. People do it because they're the second breadwinner in the home and they need the flexibility with kids or with something else going on. I'd say that's sort of one big bucket where people do it as their core job. Um, And then the other bucket is people are doing it because it allows them to like flexibility and to take extra income for savings or to pursue a passion. And let's say you're a designer, an artist, or you draw, we intersect and empower with people who are, for example, even lawyers who are experts and go out on their own and provide very, very specific advice uh, to us in, in certain fields. And I think they're doing it because it allows them to satisfy that like intellectual curiosity and enjoyment out of work that you wouldn't have had in the past. I totally relate to that. You know, my story, I was a full-time finance guy for many years before I started side hustling and personal finance writing and went out on my own. And that is exactly what I try to do. It's it's an exciting way to do what I want to do and get paid for it. And I get to help people with my money. It's like a win-win-win. <laughs> so at Empower, I mean, you're doing something similar. Obviously, they're not as a writer, you are, um, you know, personal finance and budgeting. But I know one of your big focuses that is different from a lot of the other finance apps is the advice that you give to people to help them optimize their finances. So what does that look like at Empower? And how are you helping people make smart decisions to improve their loans and other financial assets? Part of the reason uh, we started Empower was through personal experience from from my point of view. When I came here as a student, I couldn't, uh, I had to put down a $500 deposit to to get a phone. I didn't get a credit card for a long time. My credit report was impacted. I didn't get a credit card just because I didn't need one. Um, and then more recently, as I said, after deciding to to leave my job in venture capital, you know, I wanted to refinance our house and no one would let us do it because I didn't have this two years of W-2 income anymore, even though I had other hustles uh, on the side. And so that was one side. And the other side is I had so many people um, asking about advice, whether it be my my mother-in-law or family members or friends just sort of saying, hey, what what should I do? And a lot of this stuff, I think, based on what I've seen over the last eight years, is you can put it in an algorithm. 
And so we thought about it from the point of view of, okay, let's say there's, there's a number of core things that anyone can do to improve their finances. They can make sure on their recurring bills, like their cable bill, phone bill, satellite, radio, any of these things that they're not overpaying. And we've already found that, you know, our average users are, who are renegotiating those bills with Empower are saving about 250 bucks a year. So a lot of people are overpaying. A lot of people, when their income improves or their credit score improves, they don't realize that they could refinance their loan and save a few hundred dollars a month, perhaps. They don't realize that when they run their credit card bill or, or utilization over 30% um, in the lead up to Christmas, because you buy a few gifts or you have a big bill one month, that you know that can materially impact your credit score. Mine went, mine actually went down about 80 points the other day when I put some business expenses on my card, even though I've never missed a bill in my life. And that it just kind of kind of goes on and on. You know, how we see it in insurance. A lot of people are overpaying for insurance to the tune of about three or four hundred dollars a year. About 70% of people can switch and save. And so we're like, well, why don't we just put all of that into an app that's always looking in the background to find you ways to save hundreds to thousands of dollars a year. And so that's what's going on. So we send notifications anytime we see something change. We plug into all of the various like loan providers. We have analytics on all the insurance companies about what the average person in your area should be paying, whether you might be overpaying, whether they might be a better option. And then we not only do we give you the advice and recommendation, we allow you to take action from within the app. So compare your insurance policy to other insurance providers or to look at loan options from up to 10 different loan providers or look at the various banks that you can put a high interest savings account. And so we try to just put all that in an app, make it super simple so people can realize those savings and get ahead. Oh, I love that. I was actually just writing about doing an insurance audit to save money this morning. So this is a super timely topic to what's been on my mind today. You know, if people want to, financial freedom is a term we, we throw around in the financial world a bit. If people want to have more control over their lifestyle, get their finances running the way they want so their money is working for them rather than working for their money, do you have any biggest tip that stands out in your mind that young people, millennials should focus on when trying to reach towards financial freedom? For me, it was always about there's always two sides to the equation. It was like, live within your means, which is, you know, make sure I'm able to just stash a little bit of money away. I'm always uh, spending a little bit less than I'm earning. And with whatever I'm stashing away, I put that somewhere where it can compound. And then on the other side, it was always the hustle side. Okay, can I, if I can stay on that baseline, can I earn anything extra on top of that? So if I can save 5 or 10% a month of my baseline, I'm in good shape. And then if I can, you know, add something on top of that, I, I get to double or triple those benefits. And so I wouldn't count every penny, but I would always look at things just sort of on like a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. Like, am I always putting a little bit away that then I compound and pays me a lot of dividends in the future? You know, if people want to connect with you and learn more about you and your background or want to learn more about Empower, where should they go? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter, at Warren Hogarth. Um, Empower is very easy to find. We're, we're in the App Store, the Google Play Store. If you simply search for Empower, Empower Finance, and on, online at empower.me. Great. Well, with those resources, will all be in the show notes, everyone, so you can find them there. Thank you so much, Warren, for taking the time to chat with us today. Awesome, Eric. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Well, there's the wraps on another one, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for sticking around till the end. I really enjoyed talking to Warren there. He has a wealth of knowledge from his 
tremendous experience. It's very cool. So, you know, thanks again, as I always say, for sticking around till the end. Thanks for leaving a review. I hope I earned five stars. Thanks for you know, following me on Twitter. If you haven't ever checked me out on Twitter, I'm Eric Profits, and I would love to, you know, chat with you. I will try to respond as quickly as I can there. You can always shoot me an email, personalprofitability.com through the comment form. And you can leave voice questions that I might answer right here on the show. If you go to personalprofitability.com slash ask Eric and see that little intro video of me back when I had a mustache, which was arguably a poor decision. (laughs) Anyway, thanks all for sticking around till the end. And until next time, stay profitable.